There is a poem that I particularly enjoy um, by the poet T.S. Eliot. The poem is called Ash Wednesday. And I won't take you through the whole poem. It's, um, it's a rather complicated poem. <clears throat> but the end of the poem has always been a sentence that has um, sort of enconced um, itself in my mind. And I, re I, re I recall it frequently because of what it says. Here's the sentence. It's actually a small prayer. And the sentence goes, Lord, teach me to care and not to care. Teach me to sit still. Now, let me just repeat it. Lord, teach me to care and not to care. Teach me to sit still. Now, why, <clears throat> why is that so important? Well, what I'm about to say is a, how should I say that? <clears throat> it has been coming to me um, for quite some time, but it's coming to me much like dawn comes upon the earth. It doesn't come to you quickly. It becomes clearer as time goes on and the night is taken away. Lord, teach me to care and not to care. Teach me to sit still. You see, this, let me bring, begin it by this way. We always think, or most, most of us think, that we should care about stuff. But sometimes caring about stuff can actually be sinful. Because there are things that you really should not care about. It's interesting because as pastor, <coughs> as pastor and as a priest, I periodically I get people coming up to me and saying, Father, don't you care that? And then add something there. Father, don't you care that? Dot, 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 dot. Don't you care that? And periodically, I have to be honest. And sometimes I wish I could just say it. No, I don't care. Of course, that would upset quite a few people. No, I don't care. But actually, it is correct. Let me give you some examples. Should Jesus have cared about what the Pharisees and scribes thought about him? Should Jesus have cared about his reputation with the leaders of the Jewish people? Seems to me, I recall 
him a couple of times saying to the scribes and Pharisees, you brood of vipers. And he calls them whitewashed tombs. Beautiful on the outside, but internally filled with dead men's bones. Shouldn't Jesus have cared? Could we now go up to him and say, don't you care what the Pharisees and scribes think about you? Doesn't look like he did. It looks like uh, in that situation, Jesus is reacting as if he doesn't care. There are many things that uh, you're not supposed to care about. Your opinion, the opinion other people have of you. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't care at any, any, but like, for example, let me give you a quote from, uh, the, let's see, it's chap John, the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 44. Jesus is speaking to the scribes and Pharisees, and he says to them, how can you believe when you seek the glory that comes from man and not the glory that comes from God? Now, I don't know if you get it, but he is insulting them because the scribes and Pharisees cared about what everybody thought about them. They walked around very well-dressed, they saw, and Jesus even says it. They seek places of honor. They cared if you were a sinner or not. They cared if you were unclean or not. As a matter of fact, it's interesting because constantly they cared about things that Jesus told them not to care about. He was caring about what people thought. They sought the glory that comes from people, but not the glory that come from God. They didn't so much care about the glory that comes from God. So, I mean, I could go on and on. You know, even the disciples were fighting as to who was supposed to be more important and part of what Jesus spent all his time doing is teaching his disciples on what to care about and what not to care about. Because the religion of that time, the scribes and the Pharisees, were teaching the people to care about the wrong things. You strain out the gnat, and you swallow the camel. You could go on and on about all the things that he, he would say to them. And if you analyze them, they really are talking about what is it that you care about. And so that sentence from T.S. Eliot, Lord, teach me to care and not to care, 
really is about one of the central questions of being a disciple. It's, it's very interesting, too. It's, I, I have to tell you that the more I study, the more I go, I, I, I'm almost 73 years old, and the more I study, the more I'm going, oh, oh, this is what it means. I, a lot of times I didn't get it. Like, for example, I have constantly, you guys know that, y'all know, I, I'm in Texas, I better say y'all. Um, y'all know that I like a lot about etymologies. You know, the history of words. And I'm particularly fond of one that I've mentioned to you, the word worship. The word worship, as probably some of you already know, comes from the word, two words. The final word is ship, the suffix ship. And ship means the art or practice of something. So you have penmanship, sportsmanship, craftsmanship, the art or practice of craftsmen or sports or whatever. So you have the ship. So what does the war in worship come from? It's actually an abbreviation of the word worth. W-O-R-T-H. Worth. So what does worship actually mean? It means the art or practice about knowing what to care about and what not to care about, what's worthwhile and what's not worthwhile. It's you're supposed to be practicing worthship, like sportsmanship, the art or practicing of giving worth to that which deserves it and, give, and, and not giving worth to that which does not deserve it. And folks, I mean, I could go on, I, after I began to have these realizations about teach me to care and not to care, and I began to read the Gospels using that sort of, uh, those glasses, all of a sudden, I was seeing Jesus saying that all the time to people. Teach me to care and not to care. And then do you remember when Mary and Joseph were even looking for him and he got lost in the temple? Remember what he says to Mary and Joseph? He says, why were you looking at me for me? Did you not know that I had to be about my father's business? Didn't you know that you know, what, he was kind of snotty? But if you think about it, what he was saying is, I have to care more about my father's business than about whether you were worried or not. And constantly, when he talks to Peter, and he's going to go into Jerusalem, to be, and he's going to be crucified, and Peter says, oh, no, Lord, may that never happen to you. And Jesus calls him, you Satan, you're thinking like man does, not like God does. That's what he says. You are thinking like man does, not like God does. What was he saying? He was saying to Peter, you're caring about what human beings care about and not about what God cares about. Teach me to care and not to care. And it's, it's constant. Now, why am I talking like this? What, how does this relate 
to the readings today? Well, it does not relate to the first or third reading. Today I'm actually talking to you about the second reading, which is probably one of the most weird readings, but I finally think I've begun to understand it. So if you have your missalette, look at it, because I'm going to look at it now. That's why I have my glasses on my hands. Listen to this and tell me if you understand it. Brothers and sisters, may I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. <coughs> Stop there. Do you understand that? May I never boast except... In, in other words, it's, it's another way of saying, may I never really care about anything except for the cross of Jesus. Okay? Why? Through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, I'm, there's, I still want to do the next sentence. But think about this. What does it mean that he has been crucified to the world and the world to him. What Paul is seeing is that when Jesus was nailed to the cross, think about this. You have the body of Jesus and then you have the wood of the cross. The body of Jesus because it was a human body, is linked to the rest of all of our bodies. Because we all have common, now they didn't know this at that time, but we all have common DNA from a great ancestor in the past. That's pretty scientifically known. It's called monogenesis, okay? So there's a difference between monogenesis and, uh, and uh, polygenesis. Monogenesis basically means that in biology, and I'm not a biologist, but that the genesis of humankind has been derived from one couple as opposed to God maybe creating lots of people or at one time. Monogenesis is saying that there is enough evidence to understand that we all go back to a single starting point, kind of like the universe goes back to a, single, a singularity called the Big Bang. And what Paul is saying is that every single one of us shares DNA with Jesus. And that if Jesus was crucified, the body of Jesus, which is part of our bodies, we all share common flesh, the wood represents the world. The wood represents the world. 
and the execution, the nails, represents the fact that Paul has come to understand that in this world, there is ultimately nothing, ultimately, now listen carefully what I'm saying, that even though there are temporary goods that you may enjoy at different stages of your life, and those are good things, enjoy them. There are temporary goods, but ultimately, ultimately, all of them will leave you empty. That's why Augustine says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless or empty until they rest in you. Ultimately, all of those temporary joys will leave you empty. And ultimately, the only thing that will satisfy you is identify, reconnecting your identity with God. Everything else, as good as it is, will always leave you half empty. And you will always be asking with that song, is that all there is? You will be asking that. Is that all there is to this life? And so Paul is saying, look, when it comes right down to it, the only thing that matters is that ultimately the cross of Jesus, because of his resurrection, the cross of Jesus is the only thing that will ultimately get us into what we call heaven. Remember, Jesus even said it. He said, Jesus said, unless you are able to carry your cross and come after me, you cannot be my disciple. What he's basically saying is, ultimately, life will disappoint you. Ultimately. It's not saying that you should not enjoy several things while you're going through life. But don't put your stock in that because ultimately... The only thing, and Paul says that the only thing I can boast about is the cross of Jesus. And then, why does he say, because I have been crucified to the world? Because ultimately, he understands the final thing. The final thing is, you're empty until you commend yourself to God. And you allow the flesh to be crucified. Now listen to what he says next. And what he's saying next is really interesting. Because, sorry, these glasses keep falling off. He says, For neither does circumcision mean anything, nor does uncircumcision, but only a new creation. Now what's he saying there? He's saying, look, even religion... After one point, even religion doesn't really matter. Now, when I'm talking about religion, I'm talking about religious, minor religious practices. You know, how do you sign yourself with your right hand or with your left hand? Do you bow? Do you say the prayers right? Do you do this or do you do that? Ultimately, he said, look, 
compared the only for neither does circumcision mean anything nor uncircumcision. He's talking about religious practices there. And he says, but the only thing that matters is a new creation. In other words, what's the point of all of this? What's the point of going to church? What's the point of believing? The only point of believing is that there is something beyond everything that leaves us dissatisfied here. That's the only point. There's, there's no other point to religion. If you think, you know, you, that, remember when, when Jesus said, beware of the scribes and Pharisees because they like to bow. They like, they, they like uh, to have places of honor and all of that stuff. Remember how he follows it? He says, they have had their reward. In other words, if that's all you're looking for, fine, let people applaud. Yay, you did it right. Yay. But if the, if the only thing you want are cheap thrills, that's exactly what you're going to get. Cheap thrills. That they're not going to ultimately satisfy you. Doesn't matter, circumcision or uncircumcision. Doesn't matter. What is the only thing that matters? A new creation. You should, he is saying, you should be focused not on, not, not the fact that you shouldn't, you know, give relative importance to things, but do not ultimately care about. Let me give you an, about these minor little things. Let me give you an example. I think you'll understand. Imagine a bride that is Imagine a bride that is getting married and is super excited about her wedding. And so, as the wedding being planned, she becomes so involved in planning every minute detail of the wedding. The cake, the way it looks, the, the bridesmaids, she's anxious about this and about uh, the band and everything. And she is so over-involved about making sure that the wedding, that her, she's not focusing on her relationship to her future husband or to her marriage. She cares more about the wedding than about her marriage. And so what happens is she is... She's not that she should have a horrible wedding. It's just that she doesn't know how not to care as she's caring too much about the wrong things. You're supposed to care about what's important, not to care about what's not important. That's what the meaning of that sentence is. Lord, teach me to care and not to care. Teach me about what's really important and what's not important. And then he goes on. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. In other words, ultimately, you're not going to be at peace until you get to caring what is right, what you're supposed to care about. You're going to be all worried about the wrong things. You're going to be worried about what people think of you. You're going to be worried about this and about that, about your reputation. You're going to be worried about all kinds of stuff. Peace and mercy 
to be to all who follow this rule and to the Israel of God. That the Israel of God is the people who focus on the kingdom and don't spend their time like the scribes and Pharisees and like many of us worrying about this and that and this and that. And, and please, again, understand, I'm not saying not to give relative importance. What I am saying is don't confuse what is worthwhile to what is not. Seeking treasure where there is only trash. And then finally, and this is the final part. It's, I feel almost I can hear Paul. Listen to this last prayer. From now on, let no one make trouble for me. For I bear the marks of Jesus on my body. What's he saying? From now on, stop. Stop coming to me with all this bullpucky about this or that. Or the, that are, are you circumcised? Are you not uncircumcised? Are you this? Are you that? Stop bothering me. That's basically what Paul is saying. Stop bothering me with such trivialities. Because what we're dealing with is a new creation. We are dealing with the cross of Jesus has been crucified to us, meaning we're all on the cross. We're all going to die. We're all going to be crucified. You may be crucified. Jesus was crucified to wood. You may be crucified to cancer. You may be cru crucified to heart disease. You may be crucified to an auto accident. Somebody, some cross got your name on it. You got your name on a cross. Ultimately, that's what he means. You're going to be crucified. I don't know how, but it's a coming. Sometimes I wonder that. I sit and wonder what's going to be my cross going to be. From now on, let no one make trouble for me. Don't bother me with the stupidities of life. <sighs> Interesting, isn't it? I didn't know how I was, I was going to preach on this because, whoa, when I began to understand it, at, at least a little bit, I began, whoa. So anyway, Lord, teach me to care and not to care. I think it's a pretty good principle for understanding what Jesus is trying to help you to do.